for healing. We thank you that you've healed us. Thank you, God, that you have provided for our bodies, the physical man, not just our spiritual man. But this salvation is so great because it's not just in the sweet by and by. It's in the here and now. We thank you that what you did 2,000 years ago is real today. And we dislodge every pain, every sickness, every migraine, every minute, it, uh, even those little things that just kind of bother us, Lord. We, we deny them the right to stay. Thank you for minds that work. It's not just physical. In Jesus' name, clarity of thought. Thank you, Father, for rewiring things that need to be rewired. Thank you for bringing hormones and chemical balance back into our bodies. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You see, what if, what if we left a few presents under the tree and we just decided not to unwrap them? What, what if that's what we've done? Well, I, don't, I, I, you know, I know he can, and I know, I, I know he, he did, but you know, it's, it's okay. I, I don't, I'm, it's okay. No, I want to unwrap every prison he put under the tree. I want every gift he's given. And he's the father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning. And he's given a lot of good gifts. You see, I, I think evangelical Christianity that has squeezed us into a box of performing before God has caused us to fear the wrong thing when we get to heaven. You know what the wrong thing is? That everybody is going to see what I did wrong all of my life. Who cares the blood of Jesus has cleansed me? See, there's no fear in heaven about what I did in the past. Cast in the sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west. That, that's the wrong thing to be afraid of. Listen, dear ones, here's, if, you want, if you want something to push you over the edge, realize that when you get to heaven, you're going to finally find out what you could have had all along and you just didn't unwrap it. Sorry, this is going too. I feel like I'm just heating up. I just, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Get, get ready. The tie might be coming next. I'm just saying. Do you, do you pick up what I'm laying down? You understand what I just said. We fear the wrong thing. Like, I'm going to be unclean. Oh, we see all the imagery of the Old Testament. The lepers would have to walk around unclean, unclean, so that everybody, and we get this idea that somehow God still feels that way about us. That, there's, there's, that is, couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. He has loved us so well that he gave his son fully to us, who then said, it is finished. It was all taken care of. Amen. When I get before my father, listen, I, I know What's going to happen? My eyes will be open and I will see what I left on the table. Everything that he's prepared for me. Did he not say, Psalm, 90, um, Psalm 23, did he not say that he prepared a table in our honor in front of our enemies? Are your enemies in heaven? If, it, if, if your enemies in heaven, I need to preach a different sermon. I got another message for you. Where are your enemies? So where is God going to prepare a table 
in honor of you. See, the life I'm living, I, see, I don't, I mean, I make the jokes about, you know, how spiffy I look, and you all kind of look at me like, he is nuts. I mean, I guarantee you I am not a narcissist. But I'll tell you what I did do. I believed what God said about me. And I, I am actually his honored guest in this life. Not just there, in this life. So yesterday we all celebrated a little gift crazy unwrapping. I don't know about you, but I've never found a neat way to do it as an adult. I mean, it just ain't happening. I wrapped something so well for my son. It was one of those things you can't wrap. It was all bungled. It was like, how do you wrap that? So I got me a cardboard piece of cardboard. I start carving that cardboard up. I'm cutting over here and fingering, taping that over here. And I mean, it was, oh, it was spectacular. <laughs> it took him five minutes to get that thing open after, <laughs> after he got the wrapping paper off. <laughs> but that tree and present thing we do, it's nothing other than a sign. Because he has loved us, we get to love him and love each other. That tree and present thing, it's a sign. This is the relationship we have with our Father. Every good and perfect gift comes down yeah. from him. So, dear ones, all we've done so far, we're praying for one another, we prayed for one another, we sang, we worshiped. You know, all we've done is just open more gifts. Yeah, I'm preaching to the choir. You all believe this stuff, I can tell. <laughs> Don't worry, at the end of the service, I'm going to get to test your choirness out. We're going to do something special at the end of the service. Ooh, I'm so excited. Not that I'm a little kid or anything at Christmas. I'm a, I'm a little kid all year round, actually, not just at Christmas. It is true. My, my dear wife, she's been watching me preach for 35 years, or actually longer. Started preaching when I was 16. She never knows what's going to come out of my mouth. Oh, dear God, she is the strongest person on the planet. She just, it's no wonder. See, you think she just has a great relationship with God. There's a reason she has a great relationship with God. She has to have a great relationship with God because she has no idea what I'm going to say. Oh, you can, you can take deep breaths, baby. It's going to be, it's going to be okay. So many good gifts. So many good gifts. I'm going to move this over just a tad, take another swig. Father, we invite you to speak to us this morning. As you have already been, may your voice now become the loudest in the room. As we've gathered as a family today, Lord, doesn't matter if destiny is your home search, you belong to the family. As we've gathered as a family Father, we want to hear what you have to say. So open our ears. In fact, you have already opened our ears, so we lend our ear to you. In fact, you've already opened our eyes, so we lend our eyes to you. And you have put a heart of flesh here, so we lend our heart to you. Speak to us, Lord. And by the way, Father, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas.
Thank you so much. I want to talk to you this morning about the promise keeper. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keep, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker. Oh, you really believe that? My God, that is who. We're going to sing out again one more time. We've got to do it. You are way maker, miracle work. You're the promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. That is who you are. One more time. That is who you are. It's who he is. It's who he is. I want to talk to you about the way-making promise keeper. Ah. See, the baby in the manger means so many things. We talked about some of those things last week. I hope you share some of those things with your family. It's not a religious thing to get your Bible out on Christmas morning. It's not. No harm, no foul if you didn't or you just, I get it. I get it. It's not, not a, that's not, it's not a performance thing. But the baby in a manger means so many things. It means the Messiah has come. It means the one who we've waited for. <laughs> You know, as a kid, did you have that one thing that you just like, if I just could, this is what I want. And maybe you didn't get it, so you kept wanting it. Now you know how Israel felt. The baby in a manger means the Messiah has come for us. Luke 2, 11 and 12 in the New Living says the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped in snugly, wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. It means that salvation is available to all of us. Messiah has come. That's great, but if we live in a re- religious system, we'll look for the gift to be given, and we'll, for- we'll, we'll miss the God who gave the gift. You see, the gift of a babe in a manger is more than Messiah coming. It's what Messiah was going to do for us. Messiah was going to save us. So the babe in a manger also means that salvation has come to you and I. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. Joseph, this is the New King James. Joseph, the son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Do you understand this morning that the sins that so easily beset you, we can read uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and we can read about those sins that so easily beset us, and we're all running a race. We've got this great cloud of witnesses. Great, lots of witnesses to my stumbling to the... Sin that so easily besets us. But that's the wrong way to read it. 
Because that's not what it means. Do you understand that we can live uh, so inward and turned inward because of shame, because we're still in bondage to sin, because we still know that we have failures and faults. We still know that we're we're not completely transformed on the outside like we've been on the inside yet. But do you understand that the meaning of a babe in a manger is that your salvation is here and now, and you've been covered. You've been bought with a price. He will save his people from their sin, even the sin that so easily besets you. The one that just, you just, you struggle. Do you know what? Jesus didn't struggle with your sin. He killed it. The baby in a manger means that salvation has come. And he saved us from our sin. It means that God is good. Remember the angel choir in Luke chapter 2, starting at 13? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest. I would love to have been there. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. That babe in a manger is more than Messiah coming. It's more than salvation. You need to understand that Messiah came and salvation is here and it's even gooder than that. Pardon the, I was going to say Kentucky English, but I ain't from Kentucky. It's gooder than that. God actually is for you, not against you. Even before you knew him, he was for you. The angels announced the goodwill of, man, of God toward men. He's not an angry God. So much more. How about the humility of God? You see that in the baby in a manger? There's so many gifts to unwrap this Christmas. Philippians 2, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal to God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. It's the humility of God. There's so many gifts to be unwrapped as we ponder the goodness of God over Christmas, but I want to I focus on the fact that he's a promise keeper. Proverbs tells us that hope deferred does something to us. And we're living in a world that is full of deferred hope. See, riots in the streets last year See, nobody on TV sets understands the problem. You're not going to get the solution from Fox News or CNN. The world is full of hope deferred. And the Bible tells us that that hope being deferred, it does something to the humanity on the inside of us. And if we're not careful as believers, we can let it happen to us too. Having this great Savior, Messiah, living inside of us, born again like Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Saved by grace through faith, not boasting in ourselves. Father, 
Abraham, following in his footsteps, believing God. If we're not careful, the world is full of disappointment even for us. And we will be tempted to let that example start riots in here. Anybody listening to me this morning? See, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a promise fulfilled is, oh man, I wish I, I wish I had been there with Adam and Eve in the garden. Eden. Eat me a little something, something from the tree of life. See, hope deferred twists our heart and makes us sick. But it's the promise of God that's being fulfilled in our life that will act like we are eating the tree of life. I've often said to you, and I say it often because this is one of the clearest pictures of the choice before us. There's never been really any other choice than the same choice that Adam and Eve had in the garden. We either eat or the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's what I think, what I feel, what I know, what everyone else is telling me, what the culture is telling me. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the... It's the way that seems right to a man in Proverbs that says it always ends not good. But we have that choice. We can inherit the riots on the outside, on the inside of us, because our heart has become twisted, or we can believe that he's a promise keeper. He's a way maker. He's light in the darkness. And he's my God. That's who he is. There's no shadow of turning in him, James. If we lack wisdom, what's wisdom? Wisdom is trying to figure out how all this fits together. If you ever put a puzzle together, you need wisdom. Particularly if it's over a thousand pieces, you need lots of wisdom. And if Dawn picks it, you need even more wisdom. Because she don't go for the easy ones. No, 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 Pastor Babe, she's like, "Ah, I got this. We're going to get all the muted colors. All the pieces look exactly the same. I sit down five minutes, my eyes are cross-eyed. She's like, oh, this is awesome. She got like, I mean, I don't even know how she does it. You need wisdom to know how things fit together. Knowledge can, can understand that this, is, this piece may be different from this piece, but knowledge alone will not stop the riots in your heart. You need wisdom to understand how your life is being put together by God. Somebody really ought to be listening this morning. Just saying. He's a promise keeper. I want to I land on a couple verses in Hebrews. We've already pulled some from Hebrews, but I want to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 and 23. And just share a a few, hopefully, encouraging words, exhortations to challenge you. If any man lacks wisdom, James said, that's where I I just started, I didn't finish, my apologies. James 1, if anyone lacks wisdom, what what are we supposed to do? And what's it say about that stingy old Scrooge in heaven? You know, Santa Claus who keeps the list and checks it twice and, you know, naughty and I, I mean, I don't, you know, who could tell really which list you're on? See, God is neither Santa Claus or the Scrooge. 
And James tells us if we lack wisdom, if our hearts have been twisted by deferred hope, what that means is we have not, we have not been able to see the wisdom of how God is actually intertwining the, the pieces of our lives together. And so we question whether God is even in it. And that's why our hope gets deferred. You, your, your hope is never deferred if you believe him. Can't be. Doesn't matter if you haven't seen it yet. You know he who promised is faithful. So if we lack wisdom to see how things are actually fitting together in our lives, and I realize sometimes life gets so messy, we, 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 we struggle with the, the vision of it. But Habakkuk said, God said to Habakkuk, I want you to climb that ladder over there, get up as high as you can, and I want you to see what I'm going to say to you. And then he said something really powerful, like it's going to come so quick, it's going to be lightning fast, it's going to be a bullet train, you're not even going to know what hit you. Is that what he said to Habakkuk? No, actually he warned him of the one thing that probably might happen. Though the vision tarry. Though it might seem like you don't have enough wisdom to see how I'm putting it all together for you. Wait for it. Because this thing I'm showing you, it's not going to lie. It will surely come to pass. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance, of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, twisted heart, and our bodies washed with pure water. Dear ones, I got to talk to you about your bodies this morning. And it's not because you need a New Year's resolution to lose a few pounds. I want to tell you, the enemy knows how to tweak us so that when our heart's deferred, it affects our bodies. That's why you need your body spring. You, you need your body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith, our hope, without wavering. For he who promised is what? Could it be that we don't see it all? Could it be that, that the story that's playing out in front of us is only the story that's above ground? And could it be there's actually lots of parts to our story that we can't see because they're hidden below ground? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. He is light in my darkness. Even when I can't see what I can't see, it may look dark to me. I got light. So what I have light for that's above ground, I celebrate. Woo! And it does not lie to me. It is the evidence and the only evidence I need that what I cannot see, he is taking care of. And he who has wisdom is going to faithfully give it to me as much as I need. Because he who, pro who promised is faithful. You see, Jesus is the promise. He's the quintessential. In my house, that's one of those words we really love. Quintessential. When my sons were in high school, it's like we, everything was quintessential. Mom, this, this mac and cheese is quintessential. Okay. This tuna salad is quintessentially tuna-ish. 
Okay, great. Jesus is the quintessential promise. There's no higher, no more important promise than this one. Every other promise is irrelevant if this promise does not get fulfilled. And Jesus shows us the character and nature of God that we need to latch onto for our own lives. That God is a promise-keeping God. Now listen to this. Alfred Edersheim, some of you may be familiar with Edersheim's classic works, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. Phenomenal. He's a, a, a Jewish dude, wrote oh, this. Uh, uh, someone actually gave me uh, this as a gift for graduation, one of my classmates in Bible college. Phenomenal book, Jewish guy writing about Jesus. In Alfred Edersheim's book, he found 460, I'm sorry, 456 Old Testament prophecies. I mean, I mean, I, I, just think about this for a moment. One a day for more than a year. Almost a year and a half every day, a promise from God that he was going to send Jesus. 456 promises. Again, this is the Jewish dude, right? So he doesn't even believe in Messiah. Not Jesus as the Messiah. He believes in Messiah, but not the fulfillment of. Now, Edersheim had a little glimpse. So this Israeli was transformed by what he saw as Jesus fulfilled these 456 promises. Now, oh, just to put this in perspective, the odds of all those being fulfilled by one person, I'm going to put this in perspective. A professor at Westmont College, I don't know his name, he, and he took uh, two, of his, two semesters of his grad students, and they did a mathematic study of the odds of Jesus fulfilling just eight. <laughs> I mean, this, this, this blows my mind. There are 456 prophecies, according to Edersheim, that it, from the Old Testament, varying in, in distance away from the coming of Jesus. In other words, some prophecies were 400 years old. Some prophecies were 1,000 years old. Some prophecies were 3,000 years old in the Garden of Eden, where Father said, listen, serpent, you haven't won this. The seed of this woman is going to crush your head. So these prophecies vary at the, the, the amount of time that they were in existence before they were fulfilled. And they vary in uh, ethnicity through which they came. They vary in location through which they came. Some came through uh, prophets uh, speaking to Israel in Babylon. Some came all, all through the history of Israel. So we're not talking about one guy preaching a sermon with 460, 460 points. No, these are all over the place. Over three, 4,000 years. But this math professor took his grad th students through an exercise, two semesters worth. And, and just to be clear, this, this guy published his, his findings and had peer review for all of these statistics. So this wasn't just a little project in his class. No, he actually published this and he got approval from people who don't believe in Messiah 
to verify that their math was correct. So, so listen to this. After examining only eight different prophecies, they, cons they conservatively estimate that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight of these prophecies was one, was one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, I don't, I'm not, I, I'm like, I, I skipped out on calculus. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I can balance my checkbook. The chance of one man fulfilling just eight of these prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. To illustrate how large that number, I'm so glad you're going to illustrate because I couldn't illustrate it for you. He says, to illustrate how large the number 10 to the 17th is, a figure with 17 zeros. How many zeros does it take to have a one million? Six zeros. Billion? Trillion? What's after a trillion? What is it? Quadrillion? What's after a quadrillion? What's after a pentillion? We got some math enthusiasts here. Listen to this. 10 to the 17th power. 17 zeros. Here's the illustration. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all of the tickets in a hat, and thoroughly stir them, and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10. So this is comparison, one in 10. So the, the math equation was one, to the, to one, one out of 10 to the 17th power. So what he's just done is set the one out of 10 for us. If you mark two tickets out of 10, put it in a hat, and let a man draw it, he has one in 10 chance. That's the comparison. Suppose we take 10 to the 17th power number, again, 17 zeros, of silver dollars. You know what those things look like, right? They're about like this. He's trying to make it easy for somebody to find one. You know, not a little penny or dime. Not one of these little things. No, no. A, a silver dollar. If you take 10 to the 17th power number of silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas, you all know they have big hats, right? It's important. It's, it's big down there in Texas. They'll cover all the state two feet deep. Now mark one of those silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly over the entire state. Two feet deep, all of Texas. You got one coin with a little red dot on it. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up that one silver dollar that was marked with a special red dot. What chance would he have of getting the right one? One in 10 to the 17th power. That's just eight of these prophecies. 456. That sounds great. We kind of process that. We go, wow. For, for a lot of us, our eyes are all glazed over. We go, that's big. <laughs> yeah, it's real big. What message does that have for us? That he who promised is faithful. You cannot explain away Jesus fulfilling 456 prophecies. There's no mathematical equation that could justify it. 
There's no logic on the planet that would accept it. The only explanation is that God became man. That God squeezed himself into the the body of that little boy. In fact, before that, he put himself in the body of that little woman. To demonstrate for you and I that there are no matter amount of odds that we look out and over the course of surveying our lives, we see all these odds. We're, we're kind of trained by everything around us. We process this. We do it in split seconds. Well, I really would like this. Oh, man, I'd really like to go get ice cream. And boy, the kids are all the In a matter of a moment, we hear cries and, we're, and we can just feel the breath of our wife going. And we know we're not going to get ice cream on the way home. That's how quickly I calculated that, Julianne. That's how smart I am. And we do this thousands of times a day. And we wonder why sometimes some mornings we wake up a little more grumpy than others. Because as you calculate those things thousands of times a day, it wears on your soul. And your hope for what you've wanted gets deferred. Now, this is not a message about what you want. This is actually a message about what he's promised. may not be the same thing. Because the more hope deferred your heart has become, the more twisted your heart is, and you'll want things that he hasn't promised for you. But what has he promised? Boy, if you had about six hours, I could tell you what he's promised me. We have seven or eight CDs full of prophetic words. These are things that, just things that other people have prophesied over our lives. We have recorded them, captured their voice. So we have about seven or eight hours of promises that aren't even things that he's written on our own hearts, right? He gives you the desires of your heart. We have lots of desires that we believe reflect his promise to us directly, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm not factoring that in. I'm telling you that we have seven or eight hours of prophecy of people prophesying into our lives about what God has promised us. What's he promised you? And and do you still count him faithful? He who promised. The babe in a manger speaks loudly to us today. That the God who promises is faithful to what he promised. Every single one. You see, I believe that this relationship is not a push-pull, click-click, vending machine relationship with God. It's not a performance. It's not about what I do. And if I just do one, two, and three, and I pull the lever, I get the spiritual candy bar. Or maybe it's Coke for you. At least you're not drinking coffee. But that's not what relationship looks like with God. If we're not careful, we'll make promises and receiving promises. And boy, if uh, Mark 11, 20, you know, if you say to that mountain and we process, there's a whole movement that, was, that went awry in the kingdom just because they made it about push, pull, click, click. And it wasn't a relationship. 
It was a law. It was a performance. And if I knew the right thing, I'd get the right thing. Because I could twist God, I can force God to give me what is right. Listen to me, that's the wrong tree. The whole reason Adam and Eve took the wrong tree is because they, they failed, they lost the hope that God who promised was faithful. It's the only, it's the it's single reason for the fall of man. So this is an easy, slippery slope for most of us. And we've got to shake ourselves and realize I have got to stop eating of that tree. I've got to stop disbelieving that God is faithful to, to what he's promised me. I've got to come out of agreement with an enemy who wants me to believe that I can't trust God anymore. So if I just ask God to tell me what he wants me to do, I'm going to trust me to do it. And then I'm going to go back and twist God and make him give me the reward. That's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's the hope deferred that twists our heart. But the promise fulfilled, it's what we're after. See, we, I believe this is a relational thing, and so we, I want to take this for a moment beyond the X's and O's. I love football. I'm going to be watching my Steelers. Here we go, Steelers. About 425 today, we're playing Kansas City, and they aren't going to know what hit them, I'm just telling you. A little bit of X and O's going on in that game, right? But we've got to get this beyond the X and the O's, X's and O's, because this isn't just a game. It's not about performance. This is about relationships. So, so let me just remind you, as we get beyond the natural vantage, we, we need to begin to see who God really is. It's when we lose sight of who he is that we lose the hope and get it deferred and things get twisted on the inside of us. See, because it says in Romans that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. I want you to understand that Abraham had lots of promises fulfilled but he did, the scripture does not say that Abraham believed the promise and that got credited as righteousness. There's no amount of believing 456 messianic promises that will get you any credit with God. But if you believe God who gave 456 promises and because it was God who said, I'm going to do this 456 times, I believe what God said. Now you have faith in God and it doesn't matter what the promise, it doesn't matter how gloomy the day, I've got a hold of God. There's no chance in H-E double hockey sticks that what he said is not going to come true. So I can readily, easily give my life to a God like that. See, he's the eternal God. He sees everything from the beginning to the end. He's the omnipresent God. He's, he's never been somewhere new. I mean, think about that. God has never been somewhere new. In fact, every time there's a new place, he's already been there. <laughs> that's how amazing how huge how capable this God is he's omnipotent he's never thought a thought that didn't actually immediately happen I mean, think about this God dreamt a dream about uh, let, me, let me see what's your name sister on the end there what's your name Melissa. Melissa he dreamt a dream one day you know how many thousands hundreds of thousands millions of Melissa's there have been And all of a sudden, God, went, oh, I've got a brand new idea. I'm going to make me a Melissa. It's going to look just like her. No one else like her ever. 
Bloop. And God granted immediately the right for Melissa to be born. That's because he's omnipotent. There's nothing that this God that we serve, when he thinks, when he speaks, because in the beginning it says, God said, let there be. So when he, his purpose in his heart, that gleam in his eye, comes out of his mouth, light happens. Ah. I got to move on. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together. Remember this wisdom part, right? Hope deferred gets in, our, our, gets in us and twists us when we don't, we lack the wisdom to see how things are going. And so we start questioning, is, is God, are you really, like, I know, I know the Bible says, but do you really see me? It says here in Romans 8, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called, the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the, to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I want you to think about this, dear ones. The babe in a manger is a promise that you are your own babe in a manger. It says that God wants you, he, he, he wants you to know that God has planned everything, he's gonna work everything for your good, so that you understand that he had one son who was supposed to be the firstborn of many brethren. You're not sitting here, if you know Jesus this morning, you're not sitting here born again just because you were born physically or naturally. You're sitting here because you got born again. And when you got born again, like that babe in a manger, God invaded flesh all over again. That doesn't make you Jesus or Messiah, but that, you may, that makes you the brother of the one who came. I don't know, some of you, it's like 10 to the what power? The same miracle of the babe in a manger happened in you when you said yes to Jesus. In him dwells the fullness of God bodily. And you know what happened? It says I'm in him and he's in me. Somehow this isn't at any way, in any way, as tenuous as I thought it might have been. For whom he foreknew, he predestined, this is verse 29, Romans 11. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Jeez, my life is looking better and better, the more I read. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us? Ta-da! Jesus, this babe in a manger, is my guarantee and your guarantee that what God has promised you and me will be just as surely completed as all 456 of those messianic promises. <laughs> so let's, let's get back to this text, Hebrews 10. Let us draw near. There are, two, there are two commands here. There are two encouragement, two exhortations for you and I. How do we keep our hearts from getting deferred and sick? 
How do, we, how do we keep a hold of this God? Not a hold of the promise. Because dear ones, listen, I, I've had some things promised that are like, Phew. I had a prophet come to me from South Africa, Ed Trout. I think you all know him, right? I mean, we've, we've known Ed for years. Ed, I mean, I've got, I mean, I probably, probably have a whole disc full of Ed, Ed Trout prophesying to us. He came one time and he said, listen, I, I could tell you all the glad countries I'm, I'm going to send you to, you know, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to tell you how the apple's peeled. In other words, just being translated for the rest of you in front of everybody, he said, you need to have your apple peeled. I don't like those apple peelers. Do you know those apple peelers? They're, they're nasty little pieces of, I mean, you know, you can, I like the potato peeler. I, I always, it, the potatoes turn red. I don't, I just, apple peels. Are you kidding me? There are two things here that will help us keep our hearts from being twisted before God so that we can take the wonder of this babe in a manger and live it every day. Not just in some spiritual layaway plan like in the sweet by and by, it'll all be fixed. No, understanding that he's got that already taken care of and it's so taken care of and he's so good, he wants that to bleed into here. He wants my natural life to be a full expression of all those things. Two things. Draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Draw near. Disappointment can call us, cause us to withdraw. And sometimes it's so subtle we don't even know it until we're sitting in a worship time you know Sunday morning like this and everyone's like oh, and we're like on the outside looking in and we don't even know why let us draw near it's actually possible for us to withdraw From, not only from the promises, but from the God who made those promises. So let us not withdraw. Let us draw near. Disappointment can cause us to withdraw our hearts from God. Proverbs 13, 12, I already wrote, uh, read it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. He says, draw near with a true heart. What is a true heart? If we, if we could just leap out of the evangelical performance grid for a moment. And I'm not anti-evangelical. I love, I love the idea that our entire being is like the angelic choir, pronouncing the goodness of God, evangelizing to the world. I love it. But what I do resist with everything in me is this clamp-down grid of law that makes us relate to God only through what we do. What's a true heart? You know, my, sometimes... Sometimes my sons gave me gifts that were homemade. You ever get those homemade gifts on Christmas? For their sake, I won't, I won't pull out a real one. They're grown and, you know, they're on their own and they're doing well. And, they, you know, probably wouldn't shipwreck them. But, but for their sake, I won't pull out one of the real ones. But let me just tell you, you, you who have received homemade gifts from your kids, you understand they probably weren't really all that. Just say it. 
like the color's probably a little off on the picture. It's a little out of the line. He got a little, I don't know what happened there. He got really excited. I'm glad he got excited, but it's like, I don't know. The wrapping wasn't all, they wrapped it themselves. That's a true heart, dear ones. And we're worried about getting the wrapping just right on our lives. Because it's a true heart to want to please him. No doubt. Please, don't, don't misunderstand. We ought to want to please him. We ought to want to serve him. That's a true heart. But a true heart is not hung up on how the wrapping looks. Or even whether I colored all in the lines. All I know is he's my daddy and I love him. I just, I just love him. He's amazing. So even if I am not all that, even if I don't have it all together, you know what? There's no hesitation in me. Go to my daddy and give him a gift. That's a true heart. I'm not tainted by what doesn't matter. Ugh. I just I was trying to avoid controversy for one Sunday. So I thought a thought and I went, see, see I turned like this just for you all. <laughs> trying to avoid controversy. No. Jesus did not come to save sin. He came to save you. Because sin isn't the issue. You are. Is sin an issue? It cost him his life. But that was never in question. That part of the equation, Jesus was the lamb slain when? You see, the, the slaying of the lamb for my sin to be taken care of, it already happened in eternity before the foundation of the world. That's never been the issue. You're the issue to God. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. What was lost? You and I. So here we are, drawing near, rather than out of disappointment, backing away from God because we know it's he who promised. With a true heart. It's interesting, it says, sprinkled from an evil conscience. What's an evil conscience? Hebrews 6 tells us that there are six foundational stones. Remember those foundational stones? Repentance from dead works and faith toward God. First two. Actually, there are two sides to the same coin. You know, you turn over a quarter, you got the American Eagle, and you got two sides to the same coin. Repentance from dead works sets you up with faith toward God. If you don't repent from dead works, you can't have faith to God. What are dead works? Oh, it's when I eat from the tree, and I'm going to push, pull, click, click, and then I'm going to go back to God and force him to give me what I didn't trust him to give me in the first place because I did the thing. And now God, his word said it, so he, he can't go back in his word. So God, you're going to, I know I know it says, and you're going to be faith, and we think that's faith. That's not faith. That's self-reliance, and it stinks before Father. And so a true heart has their heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. That's an evil conscience. I don't trust him anymore. I don't trust him enough that he's going to give me what I need or do what he said he was going to do, so I'm going to... Do my best. I'm going to get it right. And that's why so many of us live in control and manipulation in our lives. We try to control everything because we're just not sure. 
that he is who he said he was. So we trust in the promise. Oh, we're trusting the promise. He said he's going to supply all of my needs. It's right in here according to his. I'm wearing it like a phylactery, like a Pharisee. According to his riches and glory. Julianne, you're going to give me all I need. Yes, he is. And what I've done is learned and trained my heart to trust a promise, and I've completely missed God. And God doesn't respect that kind of trust. But when we bypass, not, not lay aside, but through the promise, actually see the one who promised. Now my heart is no longer evil in conscience. Evil because I don't trust him. No, my conscience is, I know he who promised, he's going to be faithful. Now my heart's true back to God. It's true. It's the son who doesn't, he knows. Even if I mess up, my dad's going to save me. Even if I get in trouble, my dad's coming for me. Even if I make a mistake, my dad's not going to, he's not going to show everybody, show the world. He's going to cover me up. He's going to bring me back in and say, son, it's okay. I love you. We're going to make this right. So there's no fear in my relationship because I've got a true heart. My conscience that was evil because I didn't trust him now has been sprinkled by the blood of the lamb and cleansed. And I can embrace him. Our bodies washed with pure water. You know, Hebrews says, I'm sorry, Ephesians 5 says, the washing of the water of the word. I want to just spend just a moment here and, and just encourage you. We, we, we know the world understands stress. You, you can read all these studies about how stress affects your body. Can I just tell you what stress is? It's an evil conscience that does not trust God. It will, it will live in your body. It's not just a soul thing. It's not just a thought. It's not just what, what you can't deal with and wisdom and I don't know how, and boy, I don't know. No, when it, when it gets all entangled up inside of you, listen, when things start going sideways, blood pressures start to rise. Angels we have heard. That's what it sounded like to me. We need our bodies washed. We need our bodies washed. Do you realize that part of the promise of the gospel is that you can live stress-free? I didn't say you can live trouble-free. I said you could learn to live like Jesus and sleep in the boat when trouble's all around you. <laughs> I'm about to get happy. Because <laughs> I've had some things build up on my body that do not have to be there. Because stress actually affects this thing. This thing is, all right, nobody else is listening, so we'll move on. <laughs> Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled from an even conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's the second thing? Let us hold fast. Hold fast. Do you know the Bible says that what will shake, be, what can be shaken, will be shaken. 
And if there are shakable things in you, you might live shaken and not stirred. God will shake the things out of our lives that don't belong there so that he can stir our hearts to what we're called to and what he has for us. Oh, man. Let us hold fast and not be shaken. Daniel, I'm just about done. Let me, t- let me tell you, Daniel 7.25. I've been living in this piece of Daniel where the Ancient of Days stands. Remember, he says, enough is enough. It's time for the saints to inherit the kingdom. Before that, it says that that one little horn rises above all the rest. And you know what he says? That little horn, he's going to try to wear you out. Stress. Anybody connecting any dots? Like, we don't have enough wisdom. We don't see how these things all work together. So we're, well, I don't know. We're susceptible to an evil conscience, mistrusting God because we've actually didn't realize that we're grabbing onto the promise and we need this to happen instead of grabbing onto God. And that little horn, that spirit of Antichrist that's rampant in our world today, it's the reason we had riots all last year. Yeah, there's issues. We better, we better be serious about fixing them. But, but it doesn't justify the mentality that was behind what was going on in our streets on January 6th or any other day. It's the spirit of Antichrist. It's that tent horn. You know what he did? He tried to wear the saints out. He wanted to put so much stress on us. You know, how did he do that? Daniel tells us that that little horn, he tried to change times and change law. What's he trying to do? Defer your hope. If it's due and you're nine months pregnant, I don't want to hear the doctor say, he ain't coming this week. I've never been nine months pregnant, but I just, just from what I've heard, nine months pregnant, Full term, two weeks overdue. Go to the doctor. Ah, nope, ain't coming this week. What? Get over here. That spirit of Antichrist is working overtime to add stress to our lives by two factors. Trying to change time. When God promises, there's a timetable to the promise. And sometimes we have it wrong in our hearts. And we're like, oh. And so sometimes it's us. We want it now. And other times it's the enemy. And he's wanting to change the timetable for the promise that God has for you, Julianne. He's working overtime to defer that thing so that your heart is deferred, your heart gets sick, and now you start having this evil conscience before the Lord. I don't know if I can trust you, Lord. Why else would he want to change times so he can get your heart all messed up before the Father? Why would he change the law? The law are those things. If you do this, this will happen. If you do that, this will happen. If you don't do that, that's going to happen. It's the clearest representation of righteousness, right doing before Father, so that we could be rightly accepted before Father. That's what the law was all about. The problem with the law was not that it wasn't true. The problem with the law is that it had no power to change us so that we could fulfill the law and live up to it. Hence, a little baby in a manger. But this 10th horn comes and he tries to defer, he tries to add deferment into our lives by changing times and changing law. 
so that even what we were sure of, if I, if the, the, the word says, if I do this, I get this. And it says it right here, God, and I don't know what to do because it's not happening. And all of a sudden, my prayer becomes a complaint before the Lord like Job, which is a sure sign of an evil conscience before the Lord. Ah, says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. It's our belief and our words. Luke, Luke 6, out of the abundance of a heart, the mouth speaks without wavering. Romans 4.20. Dear ones, it's, 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 this is, I'm landing the plane. Let me just encourage you because there's not one of us in this building today that is not guilty at some time in our lives of an evil conscience before the Lord. Because things happen. They happen to us. They happen around us. It might not, even, might, might not even be our own lives. Maybe it's someone else that we care so deeply about and the promise they've been, and it's, it's just been dashed and we don't even know how it's ever going to happen. We go, God, what, what is up with you? It's an evil conscience. Let no man whose heart's divided think he will receive anything from God. We don't realize we're actually partnering with the enemy to delay the promise that is actually ours and should already be in our hands. Let us hold fast without wavering. Romans 4. What does it say about Abraham and his promise? I, I just love the testimony of God about Abraham because it gives me hope. Because, you know, I have, these little, I have these little things in my past where I've had an evil conscience and I have this little hiccup and I go through a week and I'm, I don't know. I wake up a little frustrated and, and I don't really know who it is. It's that God, but I, I don't want to admit it. And I could get all frustrated at myself because I've been there, but listen to the testimony of God about Abraham. In, in Romans 4, 20, it says that Abraham believed God, believed the promise without wavering. Now, dear ones, if you've read the book, you know that's not true. He got the promise way before he lied to, you know, the king because he didn't want the king to cut his head off because his wife was such a good looker. His wife was so hot, he was afraid that the king was going to kill him and take his wife to be his own because that's the only way he could justify it. Off with his head, Abraham's gone, I got no promise fulfilled, so I think I'm just going to lie to the guy, or just a half lie, because he's really this, carry the two, and she, but, well, she's, she's my sister. Really? What if Abraham actually believed the promise? He could walk in full of faith with a clean conscience, a true heart. He wouldn't have to lie to the king, because he believed the promise. Because he knew the one who promised. Abraham wasn't squeaky clean according to the promise. So why then? How could God? Oh. Those four trees, I mean, I, 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 we moved these over. And uh, well, thank you, Robert. As I, I better close quick before the house, I knock the house down. It says that God's testimony of Abraham is that he never wavered. And yet two times that we know of. It's recorded in Genesis two times he wavered. How can you square those? Because God calls those things that are not as though they already are. 
Because God looks at the little present that Abraham was trying to wrap for him, and it was all wrapped all squirrely because it's wrapped by a six-year-old. God, God was looking at the gift that the, his six-year-old gave him, his little Abby. Abby. Abby's giving me this little gift. He's trying with all his, I mean, but it's not really, it's not, it's not like, but, you know, but Abe made it for me. Woo! I don't care how dysfunctional it is. It's, it's my son. So let us hold fast and not judge ourselves too harshly for past failures. Times when we haven't believed him just right. Because he's not looking for our performance of believing. He's looking for the true heart of a son and daughter that just loves God. And just like the one who came to Jesus in the New Testament and said, I believe, but help my you know that doesn't scare your father away I want to challenge you that you are walking in right now in the day of a promise keeper the promises that God has given to you are yea and amen that's what scripture says they're already done It's like the lamb slain. He was slain before the first promise was ever given. It's incredible how good God is and how well he takes care of us. So let me challenge you and encourage you. This Christmas season, it's time to lift our eyes again. It's time to lift our heads again, lift our gaze again. There's something out in the horizon that's coming for you. And it's the promise of God being fulfilled in your life. It can't be God because he's inside of you. (laughs) What are you waiting on God for? No, no, he's right here. And he's a promise keeper. He's a way maker. And I want to challenge you to draw near to God. As we turn the corner into this new year, 2022, I'm telling you, I prophesy, there are some things that are going to dry up. There is a wicked vine that has been living in our world that is going to dry up and die in 2022. I prophesy to you, there are things that have looked like mountains that will never move. They're going to move in 2022. And I'm not just telling you a preacher speak. I'm telling you by the mouth of the Lord, he is faithful who promised. And your season and time for that promise to come has now come due. So let us draw near, dear ones. Let's let him sprinkle our hearts. Cleanse us from that hope that's been deferred, that's messed our hearts up a little bit. Cleanse our bodies from all the residual stress of how it's going to all work out. And then let's hold fast. Believing that he, that verse ends, with he who promised is faithful. Stand with me. I want to pray over you, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do the choir thing. It's going to be really quick, but so here we go. Father, I thank you that you are not judging us by what we do. You're judging us by what we believe, by what's in our heart. If it were anything we could do, then man would be saved by what he does. We're not. We're saved by hearing the word, believing in our heart, 
And then out of the abundance of what's inside already happened, we do. I thank you, God, that you are right now taking your blood-soaked eraser and washing us clean. I thank you that you're washing our bodies clean just with pure water, just the purity of who you are, of the truth of what you have said, just wash us right now. All that stress that's built up in any place in our body, some of us know, that man, it's when it gets stressful, it's this. Don will tell you, I've got two places, the back of my neck, I've got these little two muscles that'll start popping out. It's just true. When stress builds up on my body, there are two places. You may be like me, but that doesn't have to be. Lord, we surrender to you. We surrender. Lord, you are still good. You've never been anything but good. There's no shadow of turning in you. You're the eternal God. You're the Prince of Peace. You're the mighty God, the everlasting Father. You're omnipotent, omnipresent. You're omniscient. You're eternal. He who promised is faithful. Thank you right now for washing us clean. Inside and out. Our spiritual man and our natural bodies. And I thank you, God, that you're energizing us to stand like Abraham stood in the face. Oh, and it looked hopeless. I, even, it's just, I don't even know if I've got anything, enough in me, Lord, to do what you've assigned me to do. I, I don't even know if I want to do it anymore. Lord, I thank you that you're renewing us in the midst of our days. I thank you that you're causing dry bones to rattle. I thank you that you're causing sinew to pull those bones together and hold. They're going to hold, God, because you said they're going to hold. I thank you you're causing an army that was defeated to arise up to its feet to be the army that conquers. I thank you that's you and me. God, I thank you you're doing that right here in this house. I thank you for what you've promised us, that you're faithful and true, that this baby in a manger is more than a Messiah, more than a Savior. He is our seal, Hebrews. I mean, uh, Holy Spirit said in Ephesians 1. It's the seal. It's the seal that the promise that God you have given to us specifically has been sealed with the seal of this baby in a manger, the promise of God fulfilled. Thank you for sealing these things in our hearts, God, that we will not withdraw, but we will draw near to you. And we, Lord, will be steadfast, believing in the one true God who has promised. I thank you that the best days are actually ahead of us. I thank you that the brightness of your glory will shine till the coming of the noonday. I thank you that the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. It will happen no other way. There is no other way. There is no chance of any other outcome. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. So we thank you as we look beyond our own lives. We thank you for this nation. We thank you for this world. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We thank you that you, Lord, are king and a good king. And your goodwill is still extended to this planet. And we believe you together that in 2022, Lord, that the vine, that evil, cursed COVID vine will die in 2022. God, we thank you that you're right, raising up an army out of those dry bones, and you, Lord, are going to bring peace on earth, goodwill toward men. 
And that's what we have ahead of us. The enemy can breathe all his hot breath he wants, but he's a toothless lion. We serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so we give you the privilege of roaring through us and hearing us reflect your roar back to us, or back to you, Lord, that you, <laughs> you have people in this room that believe you. We believe you. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask them to good and turn that on. We're going to, we're going to get ourselves out of here with one last Christmas carol. You, you ready? You ready? Here we go. Oh, give me my hat. I, I got to have my hat. Here we go. Woo. Roll angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations. It's going to happen in 22. Come on. Come on. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Christ by highest heaven adore, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgins. Woo! Yes! Thank you, God. Hail incarnate deity, breathe with us. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. We got one more verse, ready? Hark the herald angels sing, woo! Born Prince of Peace, hail the Son of Righteousness. He brings, risen with healing in his wings. Now he lay his glory by, born that morning, nor they die. Born to raise us from the earth, born to give a second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king, born king, the king. Glory to the king. Glory to the king. Yeah.
Jesus. To you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We bless you, Jesus. Yeah, he's such a great God. You are the gleam in his eye. You were his gift for Christmas. Yeah, it's so good to see you, dear one. Thank you for being here. We're going to have a prayer meeting this, this uh, Thursday night, Wednesday night, sorry. And um, we'll get some information out. We're, we're, uh, there's a little bit of rumblings about doing a, a, a New Year's Eve time laying before him, crying out to him, worshiping him together. So we'll get that information out to you in midweek. But thank you so much for being here. Stand fast, dear ones, and you will see that God who promised make a way for you. Have a great Christmas. Blessings. Blessings.